message from Trinity Grace Church in San Antonio, Texas. For more information, please visit trinitygracesa.org. Well, I want to welcome you once again to Trinity Grace. We are glad that you're here, especially if you're a guest with us this morning. And if you have a copy of God's Word, you'll want to turn it to Ecclesiastes chapter 11. Ecclesiastes chapter 11 and the passage is also printed for you as always in your worship folder. And kids, our young disciples, I want to invite you to be listening for the following three things during the sermon this morning. First, be listening for a definition of insurance. That's right, a definition of insurance. Second, be listening for uh, ways that you can be taking kingdom risks. What are some ways that you can take kingdom risks? And third, as you're driving home this afternoon... I want you to tell your parents, if you can remember, what you can be certain about. What are some things that you can be certain about? Well, this is the portion of our service where we open the Bible in hopes of understanding what it says and how it applies to our lives. And over the past few weeks, we've been engaged in a sermon series considering the Old Testament book of Ecclesiastes. And as we've mentioned in the past, Ecclesiastes is classified as wisdom literature. It's a genre in Scripture that seeks to guide us as we walk with Jesus through this fallen world. Wisdom can be defined as art and the skill of godly living. And so as we've considered this particular book over the past few months, it's been an interesting journey. If you've been with us, you know that this book can be confusing and chaotic It can be a bit unusual, even in the way that it's written. But it's also a book that we resonate with because it speaks to our everyday experience of life in this world. We can appreciate that there's a book in Scripture that looks realistically at the pain and confusion and disappointment that we so often experience. Ecclesiastes, it surely doesn't try to sugarcoat anything. If you've been with us, you know that you can appreciate this book at least for its authenticity. You might remember that the constant refrain through this book has to do with vanity and meaninglessness. The author takes a look at various aspects of life. He looks at life and death. He looks at riches and poverty. He looks at times and seasons. He looks at accumulation of wealth, the pursuit of pleasure, the demands of work. And at every turn, he highlights the frustration that sin has brought by exclaiming vanity. It's all futile. It all feels meaningless if God is removed from the equation. And we haven't made a big deal of this so far, partly because we can't be 100% sure, but it's probable that King Solomon wrote this book toward the end of his life. And if that's the case, it provides a certain level of credibility to the content of the book because you might know that Solomon messes a lot of things up in his life. He was a man who knew disappointment. He knew failure. He knew sadness right alongside unbelievable success in power and influence. Solomon, he has enough life and experience under his belt to give us lived wisdom. Wisdom that has been tested with life. And as the preacher wraps up his argument, he spends some time touching on the uncertainty of life. He highlights the fact that we can't know the future. We can't always see what's coming. And it leaves us asking, how then should we live? How are we supposed to follow the Lord when we don't know what's coming next? 
That's the answer that we're going to be, or that's the question that we're going to be exploring this morning. And to get the conversation started, you follow along as I read from Ecclesiastes chapter 11, beginning in verse 1. Cast your bread upon the waters, for you will find it after many days. Give a portion to seven or even to eight, for you know not what disaster may happen on earth. If the clouds are full of rain, they empty themselves on the earth. And if a tree falls to the south or to the north, in the place where the tree falls, there it will lie. He who observes the wind will not sow, and he who regards the clouds will not reap. As you do not know the way the Spirit comes to the bones in the womb of a woman with child, so you do not know the work of God who makes everything. In the morning sow your seed, and at evening withhold not your hand, for you do not know which will prosper, this or that or whether both alike will be good. Light is sweet, and it is pleasant for the eyes to see the sun. So if a person lives many years, let him rejoice in them all, but let him remember that the days of darkness will be many. All that comes is vanity. Rejoice, O young man, in your youth, and let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. Walk in the ways of your heart and the sight of your eyes, but know that for all these things, God will bring you into judgment. Remove vexation from your heart, And put away pain from your body, for youth and the dawn of life are vanity. Well, this is God's word. He gives it to us because he loves us and he wants us to know him. Well, I wonder how many types of insurance are out there. I wonder what kind of insurance policies you personally carry. I mean, we're required by law to carry car insurance. Most of us have homeowners or renters insurance. Many of us carry health insurance and life insurance or disability insurance or long-term care insurance. And the list of things that could be insured in our lives, it could go on. It's pretty long. And you know what insurance really is, don't you? It's the transfer of risk. It's paying to take the risk off of me and place it on someone else. And normally, we take out an insurance policy for one very simple reason. It's because we don't know what might happen. We don't know what might happen. I mean, who knows if you'll get in a car accident driving home from church this afternoon? Who knows if an appliance in your house like ours uh, a few years back is going to leak and cause a lot of damage? Who knows if you'll be diagnosed with a life-threatening illness in the coming year? We don't know what the future holds, so we seek to take measures to protect ourselves, to transfer risk, to limit our exposure to the unknown. We don't know what the future holds. It's such a simple statement. We don't know what the future holds. It's an obvious reality, but one we really don't like it, if we're honest. We don't like to live in the midst of uncertainty. In fact, we have resources to help us mitigate uncertainty in our lives. Things like money or networks or skills. We've got lots of things that help us quiet uncertainty when we begin to feel it. There are many things we'd love to know about the future, but we can't. We can't know what our marriages will be like in five years. We can't know if we'll be in the same job this time next year. We can't know if our children will begin to follow Jesus in the near future. We can't know what the markets are going to do over the next year. We can't know the status of our health as we continue to age. And the list could go on. There's lots of things we can't know. And if we could know the future, would that be fun? Well, maybe. But if we really thought about it, it would likely just produce more anxiety and worry in our hearts if we could know the future. It probably wouldn't be as fun to know what the future holds as we think it might be. 
The fact of the matter is, we can't always see what God is orchestrating in this world. What He's working in our lives. How the pieces of the puzzle fit together. How God is crafting the joys and the sorrows of life to work all things out for our ultimate good. We can't always see that. We can't normally see those things with clarity. And it's what verse 5 is getting at when the preacher writes, As you do not know the way of the Spirit comes to the bones in the womb of a woman with child, so you do not know the work of God who makes everything. We can't know the work of God. We can see the results. We can experience the consequences of God's work, but we aren't always privy to what God is orchestrating. And if we don't know what the future holds, if we can't always see with perfect clarity what God is orchestrating, it can lead to some pretty cynical attitudes and apathetic actions on our part, can it? I mean, not knowing what the future holds can lead us to take control of situations in a way that make us anxious and tired and domineering. It can also lead us to throw in the towel and give up. I don't know what the future holds, so I'm going to embrace laziness and become uncreative in how I think about God's work in this, life, in, 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 in this world and in my life. Not knowing what the future holds can paralyze us with fear and doubt. You might be the type of person who's always waiting for the perfect condi- conditions in such a way that you never take any risk. Not knowing what the future holds can make some of us nostalgic. Wishing for the better days, longing for the way things used to be. Refusing to recognize oftentimes that those earlier days had their own troubles that were just as bad, just in different ways. Not knowing what the future holds can cause us also to idolize safety and security and comfort. Trusting in our own abilities instead of trusting in God's character and promises. Hopefully, we're starting to understand the potential for the spiritual damage that uncertainty can bring. We don't know what the future holds. It's a simple yet profound truth. And it's really what Ecclesiastes chapter 11 is all about. Since we don't know what the future holds, since we don't know what we don't know, how are we supposed to live wisely in the midst of uncertainty? How are we supposed to live faithfully in the midst of uncertainty? And at least one of the answers we find in our passage is that we've got to bow in mystery to God's work because we don't know how it all fits together and we can't make it happen in our own power. If you step back and think about how we try to take matters into our own hands, consider modern medicine. It's a great place to start. For all the blessings and benefits that we get from modern medicine, it is still unable to achieve the results it desires to achieve. To put it simply, people want to live forever. People want medicine to bring resurrection to their lives. And as sophisticated as medicine has become, we know that resurrection and life is ultimately a work of God alone. And so we're called once again to embrace our limitations. To recognize that we're finite. To give up our illusions of control. We're called to live with wisdom in the midst of uncertainty. To walk with faith in the face of unpredictability. Since God is in control, we can experience freedom from anxiety and fear and apathy and doubt that uncertainty have the potential to bring. In this passage, 
It really encourages us to live life under the sun, remembering that there's another vantage point to be considered. The vantage point of life above the sun. We live under the sun, but there's another vantage point that we're not always privy to. If what we know about life above the sun is true, if what we know about God's character and promises to us, that means we can be bold and we can be joyful as we walk through this fallen world. We see the preacher invite us to boldness in verses 1 through 6. And right off the bat, we're forced to make an interpretive decision. You might not know that, but you will. What is the preacher talking about in verse 1? Is he talking about generosity and compassion, or is he talking about economic industry and wise investments? Well, there's some disagreement among biblical scholars here, but in context, it does seem that the preacher is using principles from industry and economics that can also help us engage in radical generosity and compassion. To cast your bread upon the waters, what does that mean? Well, to cast your bread upon the waters is to send grain out for trade on the ocean, most likely. And after many days, if you do that, you'll realize a return on your investment, is what the preacher's saying. And verse 2 is talking about making eight investments instead of seven. In other words, the preacher is encouraging you to be well diversified because you never know what kind of disaster might come. In fact, the NIV translates verse 1 to say, ship your grain across the sea. And then verse 2 to say, invest in seven ventures, yes in eight. And while the preacher is using the language of economics and industry here, he's got a much bigger point to make. In the midst of all the uncertainty that we experience, he says, don't be a person who holds back. As one commentator put it, the preacher is calling God's people to be venture capitalists for the kingdom of God, even in the midst of massive uncertainty. And we can understand how to apply these economic principles to kingdom purposes, can't we? We can hold our resources loosely and give generously. We can take risks for the kingdom, knowing that God is the one who makes our efforts fruitful. I mean, we shouldn't let fear of some coming disaster be an excuse to make us stingy. That's exactly what the preacher's saying here in this passage. If you spend all your time looking at the clouds and worrying about how the trees might fall, you'll never do anything. And it's not in your control when the rain falls and how the tree falls. The clouds and the trees, they don't consult you. That's the Lord's department. Our department is to faithfully sow seed. We can't wait for ideal conditions, is what the preacher's saying. But we try to all the time, don't we? We say things like, if I ever had a little more disposable income, then I'd invest in kingdom work. Or if my neighbor would bring up spiritual things, then I'd engage with boldness. Or if I ever got a few free hours, then I'll start serving And what we're doing is twiddling our thumbs while we watch the clouds and worry about the fallen trees. We are called to engage now in the midst of uncertainty in kingdom enterprises. Knowing that they're not going to go to waste even if they fail or don't seem to be as effective as we hoped. We're called to make the most of our time. To be intentional in season and out of season. After all, we're not in control and we've got limited knowledge. In hard times, they're sure to come. The preacher reminds us of that. But we're called to keep plotting, to keep investing, 
to never lose hope. We're simply called to be bold as we invest our resources, our time, our talent, our treasure, knowing that it's never wasted. And it's all God's gift in the first place. He gives us the gifts to invest. We invest, bring a return to Him, and then He praises us for it. I mean, it's all His from beginning to end. And we can't control the success or failure of our investments, can we? Which means the success isn't the end-all, be-all that we should be concerned with. Instead, it's the faithful investment of our resources that is the reward in and of itself. Because it shapes and forms us in faith and dependence on the Lord. But the preacher isn't just calling us to be bold in the midst of uncertainty. He's also calling us to be joyful. We see this invitation to joy in verses 7 through 10 where he focuses in on enjoying our strength while we have it. These verses, they're all about joy and delight, while staying serious by remembering that God's the ultimate judge. So we shouldn't run headlong into pleasure, but we should enjoy the life and the blessings and the strength that God gives us. The preacher is very realistic here, which we see in verses 8 and 9. He invites us to rejoice in all of our years, but to remember that many days are going to be dark. Joy and sadness are always going to be mixed with one another here in this fallen world. But the preacher invites us to rejoice in our strength and to enjoy the pleasures of life, but to keep the fear of God in view while we're enjoying those good gifts. So while we live in the midst of lots of uncertainty... The preacher invites us to be bold with our kingdom investments, to rejoice in the blessings that we get to experience in this life under the sun. And these encouragements, they mean something for us. They should shape and form how we live and engage even in the midst of uncertainty. We should be bold and we should be joyful. What are some applications, though, that we can draw from the preacher's encouragement here? Well, one of the obvious encouragements and applications from this passage is to go all in on kingdom investment. Don't hold back. As the preacher says, cast your bread upon the water. Invest in seven different ventures. Yes, even eight. We shouldn't sit around and hope for better conditions before we start to invest our time and our energy and our resources into kingdom work. Our calling isn't primarily to wait around and discern if it's a good time to start loving and serving and investing in people's lives. We're called to engage now, knowing that all that's done for Christ and His cause will eventually be rewarded. We can't control things. I mean, we live in the midst of lots of uncertainty. We can't wait for perfect conditions. God's at work through our efforts, so go all in. And then after you go all in, you know what you can do? You can rest in the fact that God is at work. We can't wait for perfect conditions when it comes to investing in God's kingdom. This means you don't have to wait to defeat that sin pattern in your life to start serving and loving. You don't need to have a different personality. God can use the one that He's given you. You don't need your kids to be a little bit older in order to engage in love and service. You don't have to wait on the other person to take the initiative. We can start sowing and serving and loving right where we're at. We can take risks in sharing our faith. We can put ourselves out there. We can stay curious about our friends and our neighbors, which is always a great way to start significant conversations by asking lots of good questions. 
It's exactly what Jesus did on the pages of the Gospels. He's constantly asking questions, even leaving people with questions. We're called to be intentional, to live in the present, to scatter seed. Some's gonna, some is going to fall on rocky soil, some is going to fall among the weeds, but some will meet good fertile soil. And then we rest in God's control and providence to use our efforts as He sees best. In the midst of uncertainty, we should get creative. Be a missional entrepreneur. Be bold. Take some risks. We're trying to do this as a church, even today. Asking what it might look like to plant new churches in San Antonio. It might fail. That's okay. God is still at work. He is calling us to move out in faith in order to see His kingdom expand. And on top of being bold with our missional efforts, this passage is also inviting us to enjoy life while it can be enjoyed. There is nothing wrong with enjoying the good gifts that God has given us, and He has given us a lot of good gifts. We can enjoy. We can enjoy what God has given us. We see this invitation begin in verse 7 where the preacher writes, Light is sweet, and it's pleasant for the eyes to see the sun. Such a simple verse, but he's focused here on the good things in life. Light and sun, on what it looks like to stop every once in a while and to enjoy what God has given. Now, if we want to be precise here, the preacher is really touching on what it looks like to enjoy your youth in this passage. But youth is relative, right? They say 60 is the new 40, right? But since youth and strength, they're fleeting, they're like a mist that disappears while you have that strength to enjoy God's gifts and blessings, you should. But be sober in your enjoyment, the preacher says. Remember that grief is always going to be mixed with that joy. And remember that we'll all stand before the Lord one day soon. So in the midst of uncertainty, we're invited to enjoy God's good gifts. We don't know what tomorrow holds. We don't know how many years we have left. We don't know what kind of grief lurks around the corner in our lives. But we can enjoy what God has given us today. We live in a world that is so often uncertain. We don't know what the future holds, but in the midst of all of that uncertainty, there are some things in life that are certain. There are things we can know for sure. And these are things that provide an anchor in the midst of so much uncertainty. There are things that you're experiencing this morning and you have no clue what God is orchestrating. Sicknesses that you're experiencing, sadness that you're feeling, anxieties in life that, that have just you know come wave upon wave. And to use the language of Ecclesiastes, how can we get above the sun to take our cues from what is certain as we continue to live life under the sun? What can we be certain about in the midst of so much uncertainty? Well, we can be certain about the character and the promises of God. And what we do every week as we gather is remind one another of that character and of those promises. We have a God who will never leave us nor forsake us. We have a God who promises to hold us fast even when we lose our grip on Him. To hold us fast through grief and sadness that we experience in life, through the uncertainty. We have a God who longs to give us good things. And not only that, He takes delight in the fact that we enjoy His gifts. It brings a smile to His face, you might say. 
In the midst of uncertainty, we can be bold and we can be joyful because we have a God who's in control of all things and we know His character. We might not know what's happening in our lives. We might not know what He's orchestrating, but we know God's character. We know that He is good. We know that He is inclined towards us and that He's working all things out for our ultimate good. In the face of uncertainty and not knowing what the future holds... We can be confident as we embrace risk and joy. We can even adopt Paul's words from Romans chapter 8, where he writes, What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he also not, along with him, graciously give us all things? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or danger or sword? For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Let me pray for us this morning. Father, we are so thankful for your love and goodness in our lives. Thankful for your faithfulness. Thankful for your character. Thankful for your promises. Lord, in the midst of so much uncertainty that we experience in life, we are thankful that there are things we can be certain about. We can be certain about who you are and your intentions for us. And we pray that as we continue to follow you in this sin-riddled world, that you would remind us of that character and those promises often that you would help us to be bold in taking risks for your kingdom, and that you would help us to embrace the joy uh, that you have given us as we think of all the good things in our lives. We pray that you would receive honor and glory from this and that you would encourage us um, as we continue to consider your word. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.